0: No! Get those lights off! Off! Chocolate, chocolate chip. Well, that hurts my feelings.
1: Please clap.
2: Hello and welcome to Pardon the Disruption. I'm the acting speaker of the pod, Tyler Williams. And of course, I'm joined by the red tape Wrangler, Luke Hogue, and our fake news ambassador, Peter Vicenzi. Gentlemen, Kicking off today's show, I want to talk about one of our favorite representatives, and that's Representative Corey Bush. And one of, these, one of the things that is so great about her is that she's just constantly the gift that keeps on giving, uh, specifically to those of us on the right. And this week, her gift, it comes in the form of a tweet where she said, I refuse to sit by and let millions face eviction after the right-wing Supreme Court blocked the moratorium, of course, referring to the eviction moratorium. Uh, the problem is that the Supreme Court just told her to do her job. That's well, what yeah. It, I mean, like, it's uh,
0: it's absolutely astonishing to me how people can completely miss the point here. And that, you know, it, the, the Supreme Court didn't say that you can't have an eviction, an eviction moratorium. What they said was is the president cannot unilaterally make an eviction moratorium. Right. Um So... All that they're asking for is for Congress to do their job and to actually you know, go in and make a vote and make a bill and actually extend this. Um, right. So while she's trying to blame this on, on President Biden, while she's trying to blame it on the Supreme Court, uh, the conservative Supreme Court, as she says, this isn't the Supreme Court's doing. You know, This is a constitutional issue. And if this is really that big of an issue, then Congress can go in and, and do what they need to do and take a vote.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's easier to complain than actually do any hard work. And the right. hard work would actually been is, getting people together to actually vote on this and putting a bill forward. But I mean, she may have, I don't know, but
2: it just sure. seemed like
1: this all happened uh, right about when the eviction moratorium was about to be lifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it was a couple of weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. And she's out there camped out with her sleeping bag and Oreos. And it's like, you know, you're in D.C. in the summer, you're using a sleeping bag on the side of the Capitol. It's a little toasty out there.
0: Right. Well, if y'all remember, if we run it back a little bit, that... President Biden basically said he wasn't going to extend the, he was going to follow what the Supreme Court said, wasn't going to extend the eviction moratorium, um, and basically put the, the challenge to Congress and said, well, we, this needs to get done, we want to do it, uh, y'all do it. And there was a very half-hearted attempt to try and get this done, and it just completely faltered. And so it's, it's astonishing to me that this is a continual talking point, a continual thing. They're trying to blame this on the Supreme Court. When in reality, it's just another byproduct of Congress's dysfunction. And with all they're trying to do right now with reconciliation and with infrastructure and with uh, the the NDAA and all of these bills, it, presumably it wouldn't be that insane uh, to try and include something like this into legislation. Now we're obviously not advocating for that right. against the eviction moratorium, but from a purely procedural standpoint, from the the, the dysfunction of Congress, yes, um, that's where you know it rests at Cory Bush and it rests with uh, his fellow numbers
2: well exactly well the the problem with cory bush is it's like if only there was someone in congress that could introduce a bill to rights to to make the said thing happen instead of like playing homeless in front of the congress the in front of congress maybe that person oh maybe it could have been cory bush that wrote this bill but yeah. instead she's what, and what prompted this tweet was she was actually praising Elizabeth Warren for introducing a bill, you know, the thing that she could actually do.
1: In the House, yeah. In the House. Well, yes. it's interesting from the crowd that was talking about how, you know, our democratic norms are being threatened under the uh, the Trump era. Right. Her coming out here and saying, oh, my gosh, the Supreme Court isn't doing what my, me and my activist friends want them to do. Yes. That's not it, you see where I'm going with that, well, yeah. Peter.
0: That's yeah. why that's why we've been working so hard on on all these campaigns to try and prevent the commission of the Supreme Court and uh, you know President Biden from packing the court because this is exactly the issue that they're trying to get at. They, mm-hmm. Every time that the Supreme Court does its job and says uh, this is or isn't constitutional, you know, calls balls and strikes, as, as right. Justice Roberts put it, uh, the the left gets angry because it didn't come out the way that they wanted it to, mm-hmm. and so now they're looking for all these different ways. To try and you know basically change that whole paradigm so that they can get their way and you know it really reminds you of when you're you know we're three years old in the sandbox and somebody didn't get their way and they try and uh, take the soccer ball home or take the toy home uh, and prevent everybody else from doing what they're doing and you know it's just absolutely insane to see that this is actually on the table
1: minor tangent though you know you see a lot of people on the left these days talk about how like uh, uh, Trump is stepping on the Constitution. Republicans right. are ignoring the Constitution. They use that kind of terminology, talking about like, you know, our sacred, Yes. you know, it's it's pretty like, you know, boomer on their part. Mm-hmm. But it's like, they don't actually care about that. It's just, a, no. it's talking more like, they don't care at all about, you know, even the shred of the Constitution, but they're out here saying that, you know, oh, we're the ones violating norms when, you know, obviously they're projecting there because they're the ones doing that.
2: Right. Yeah. No, abso- absolutely. Yeah. You know, the only thing that infuriates me almost as much as um, as that in the hypocrisy, especially whenever it relates back to the Constitution, is a return guest on Part of the disruption, Representative Jayapal, who made headlines this week um, having a birthday celebration with other members of Congress, not wearing a mask. And then, it actually, this is a... This kind of started to freak me out, and I wonder if you guys are started to be weirded out by this as well. Birthday cake, birthday cakes. She she's filmed blowing out um, the candles of her birthday cake, and, which then, of course, was then shared with other members of Congress and presumably staff. Uh, so, no mask. Definitely spreading bodily fluids by blowing out the birthday cake. Uh, so. Representative Jayapal was actually a super spreader, even though she was one of the ones that came out the most harshly against, you know, other members of Congress, not wearing masks. Another clear example of, you know, rules for me, not for thee. Mm -hmm. You know, uh,
0: the birthday cake. And she also beats her staff.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Doesn't particularly
0: bother me. I think that kind of is the point of a birthday cake. Right. But, uh, at the same time, you know, it's just this continual gaslighting almost Mm -hmm. where um, it's, it's the, you know, we've talked about it dozens and dozens of time on the show is the rules for the week. Yep. and this idea that I'm going to implement these rules. I'm going to, uh, lambast other members of Congress for not wanting to, to wear masks, not wanting to do this, that, the other. And that at the end of the day, you're not following your own rules. It's just the blatant hypocrisy that we see time and time again. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I
1: mean, we also saw this week with uh, the mayor of San Francisco, uh, London came out with yes. that awesome interview it was terrible. Uh, about how she was caught maskless dancing in a club uh and she said what was it like i felt the spirit like, yes you can't do it it's it's almost flooring that she did that interview because it's just so obvious that she has contempt
0: for anyone who disagrees with her
2: right well utter
0: contempt for the people she's supposed to serve just for anybody watching out there if you want to see some primo a quality word vomit uh go and try and find that video of uh, the mayor of san francisco It is. it's almost unintelligible you cannot you don't know where she's going it's the what's the meme of um, sometimes i start a sentence and i have no idea where it's going that's basically what happened with this
2: response
1: (laughs) who cares i wanted to do it so i did it
2: exactly (laughs) it's like oh you know just like everyone else in america whenever you know faced with these mandates and such
1: it's like we're not mad that you went to the club we're mad that you're telling us we can't do that Exactly. You're telling people in San Francisco you can't do that. Using her as kind of a proxy for any, you know, uh, elected official in, in America. Exactly. We
0: you respect your right to make those decisions for yourself. But all we ask is that you respect other people's rights to make those decisions as well. Right. That's that's where we're getting at.
2: Well, it's it's if the hypocrisy only stopped at Representative Jayapal's office. Uh, but it, sadly, it did not. And apparently the folks who put on the Emmys uh, did not listen to our last week's episode of Pardon the Disruption because, you know, we were blasting the, the quote unquote, the, the elites in New York at the Met Gala for walking around and having all this. the important people, uh, our so-called social betters were unmasked, but all the people that were working the event, the actual workers there were masked. And the same thing played out um, over the Emmys. I know that none of us have watched it just like the majority of America didn't watch the Emmys this year because it's frankly a waste of everyone's time. But from the photos again, same scenario, the workers were the one that had to be masked and The celebrities were the ones that got to be unmasked. And, and yet they were the ones that were running around saying about how it's important to wear your masks and all this other stuff and singing John Lennon songs and whatever the heck they were doing. Well,
0: and, uh, I, you know, I didn't watch the Emmys, but I did see some things floating around on Twitter that uh, a comedian, I think it was Seth Rogen, don't quote me on that, Mm -hmm. um, basically went up and was giving his speech, giving his little bit. It was like, this doesn't feel safe. Like, this doesn't, this feels like we're violating all the rules that have been put in place for for these kind of things. And that's, you know, it's it's weird to see somebody actually stand up and, and call out the hypocrisy in front of those people. Um, at that time because that that's the thing that we've been missing is a lot of the time these, these events happen, you know, people don't wear masks, uh, you know, uh, Mayor Bowser goes to a wedding or officiates a wedding, things like that. And it, you have to wait and there, there is a blowback and it takes mm-hmm. some time. Um, but it's it's heartening to see that some people are at least standing up and saying what needs to be said at that moment, you know, even if it is Seth Rogen, of all
2: people. Well, you know, that's actually one of the signs of a healthy society is, you know, like your comedians actually being out there and being the ones that are shedding light on perceived wrongs Mm -hmm. i mean that's the whole the the whole thing that's missing from today's quote unquote political satire shows is that biting criticism that the satirist is supposed to um, use his craft to shed light shed light on perceived wrongs and so kudos to um, seth rogan if he's if he was the one that said what he said but many more people need to be You know, saying things like that. Were we
0: joking about it earlier that um, uh, probably the best, uh, uh, the two best political shows or political satire shows, Mm -hmm. comedic shows, uh, were from Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert has now gone off and- Not Norm Macdonald on Weekend Update. Well, okay, but that's SNL. Like, we're talking about (laughs) talk shows. Like, uh, there's there's great political commentary all over the place. but I think that that's what made uh, both of their shows so particularly uh, engaging at the time. Uh, you know, they've now both gone off and, and done their own things since then. Mm-hmm. But that idea of being able to really uh, speak truth to power, having, you know, not really taking sides, even if you're satirically well, taking take, sides.
1: Taking on, I mean, think about it. They're taking on the Bush administration. So right.
0: they're going against the grain um, on
1: that, even though, you know, I think at this point, things have swung so much the other direction, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, uh, it's. Comedy is completely culturally left. I mean, anything in entertainment is culturally left-leaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it changed so much that, you know, it's really just regurgitating talking points. It's humorless in a lot of it, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely see that. Um, you know, for for me, the thing that always, as far as cultural institutions that have no more credibility anymore... Mm-hmm. Uh, Punk rock music for me is the one thing that paging, absolutely paging Jason Pie. <laughs> yes, paging Jason Pie. Shout out. You're out there. Uh but um but in particular, like I loved growing up and um, you know, I listened to Green Day and stuff growing up and like, you know, and that's what really kind of caught me on to the whole idea of like rebelling against the government and such He's like that. Store. Exactly. But yet, they're the ones that are backing folks like Bernie Sanders that want the man in control of everything, mm-hmm. which is completely antithetical to what you're saying. You'd
1: hope uh, the past year with COVID would have changed things a little bit. I think it has. I mean, you're noticing kind of a crack in the veneer. Uh, I think of people uh, thinking a little bit differently, mm-hmm. um, maybe questioning people. Maybe it's one of the few things that uh, one of the one of the. Few, few, maybe the only positive thing that came out of the past year, really was that you know people start looking at, um, you know, even people in like left wing establishment as mm-hmm. or not, obviously Sanders isn't that, but just uh, looking at it differently, looking at the power structures there, mm-hmm. seeing you know these people who are in charge
0: are going to be in charge of everything. Well, and I, I don't wonder if you can go, if you can really kind of pinpoint and start that. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, the the development of you know, the new media environment, the the, the development of Facebook and, and social media and all this was certainly a catalyst for this. But I wonder if you can't go back and look at uh, the boondoggles of Iraq and Afghanistan and really kind of say that that was the moment that the American people started to lose faith in the, the overarching government narrative. That, you mm. know, basically everyone kind of took Bush's word for granted that there were the WMDs. Was reinforced this, by the same media. That's A lot of these people are still around today. Mm-hmm. You are, and then all of that turned out not to be true and how do you then go back to just you know accepting what the elites are telling you you know it's, it's very difficult because you now know that they're willing to spin and lie and so you know it's, it's this crisis of and even
1: know, when someone is right you don't know if that's true or not mm-hmm. because
0: they've,
1: they've, they've completely undermined confidence in anything they say. i think I've,
0: i think i've said it on this podcast before yeah. that you know we we're kind of living in this, this post-truth era where yeah um it's difficult to know, you know, what the truth is or what, um, you know, what reality is really, because you're you're being constantly bombarded by all these different narratives, and trying to weed through that and find the truth is is becoming more difficult. And I think that's what we're seeing, especially with COVID mm-hmm. and everything, is uh, you know trying to weave through the narratives and the spin mm-hmm. to get to the heart of the matter is what I think has caused
2: a lot of this turmoil. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, and. In- you know, since we're kind of going, looking back towards the uh, towards the Bush years and stuff, uh, one reason development has been that George Bush is actually going to fundraise for Liz Cheney to help win re-election.
0: I just have to say, I am 100% here for the George W. Bush, Bush versus Donald Trump showdown that is shaping up for 2022. I... <laughs> I'm very excited for it. I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch.
1: Don't know who's going to win. Well, how many other people do, does the Bush team have right now? They got what? Uh, Cheney and Kinzinger? I mean, that's about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's people are out.
2: Well, I mean, let's not forget about Jeb. But... Jeb. Oh, Jeb. <laughs> Please clap. But I don't know. It actually will be an interesting primary. I'm kind of looking looking forward to bringing out the popcorn for that to see which side wins. I mean, it, it is literally the old old Washington, the old establishment uh, versus, you know, this young this new nationalist populist uprising.
0: Well, yeah. And if you look at the who's already uh, declared for the races, practically every, um, shall we say, MAGA member mm-hmm. um, has a, a more establishment. Challenger practically every establishment member is having a more populist challenger, and so just seeing that whole that whole battle play out and where this direction goes will be very interesting because I think a lot of people um, discounted President Trump or Mm -hmm. former President Trump. They've you know uh, the news media tried to sweep it under the rug, but what you're seeing from these fundraising halls, what you're seeing from these endorsements, uh, is that his message is still very very strong and, and. has a big impact on the way people, um, mm-hmm. way people vote. Uh, the question is whether or not the more establishment characters, you know, the, the George W. Bushes of the world, um, will be able to kind of do what they have done in the past and, and rile up the base in the opposite direction. Uh, you know, I don't have well, the answer. So It'll be interesting. To the see. way
1: you're talking about it, it's true. I think that's definitely the case for a lot of these races. Mm-hmm. But that's also the way that I think uh, you know the uh, Democrats want to frame this: is everything is going to be a fight between. Are you going to side with, uh, you know, the old guard Bush or with Trump whatever your opinion on either of those two people are, mm-hmm. they want it to be that kind of struggle going on because that's how they can, you know, divide, uh, you divide know, to conquer conservative voters well, or they are small government voters.
2: I'll push back against that because I think that the last playbook going into 2022 is just going to label anyone with an R next to their name as Donald Trump. I mean, we saw this play out mm-hmm. during the California recall election. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that, um, I think it was sent around in one of the Slack channels about um, the direct mail piece for Yunkin mm-hmm. um, that was actually paid for my, by McCullough but it was touting the uh, Trump endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: like obviously, uh, if you're not familiar with that, because uh, Yunkin's running in Virginia, Northern Virginia right, is you know, right. hevi- heavily liberal now, so he's trying to knock off votes that way.
0: Exactly. Well, I, think, yeah. um, I think Politico actually probably said it best, that the, one of the biggest takeaways from the Newsom recall election is, you know, to paraphrase the old adage that all politics is local, is that now really all politics is national and that mm-hmm. even these state races, mm-hmm. um, the way that Newsom was able to uh, basically avert a recall was by making it all about Donald Trump, by making right. it all about national politics. And I think even that, that'll that even trickle down to these local races, these, uh, you know, these uh, uh, one, these congressional races, but even as we're seeing um, with all our work with BEST, you know, this is even trickling down to like school board elections. Mm-hmm. These, these school, like these local school board elections are being waged over um, basically what are national policy priorities. People aren't really talking about, uh, you know, necessarily like how much funding this school should get or, or different things about the local area. What they're talking about are these big national cultural uh, issues like critical race. theory. And I think right. that's, it'll be, you know, this, we've been trending in this direction for a while. But it'll be interesting to see if anyone can really dissociate from that narrative, dissociate from that national politics, and try and stand out as an individual.
2: I would say that's probably. I mean, we even saw examples of that in 2020, mm. um, where like senators or congressmen would would um President Trump in in some of the um, in some of the races. That, you know, so I mean, it, it's not, and that of course was always part of the talking point. In every like, I'd say probably in every election is how how did the repre- local representative do in comparison to um, to the top of the ticket?
0: Yeah. Well, and because I, I really don't think the president Biden has very long coattails at this point.
2: Yeah, um, not anymore. Nope.
0: Uh, after let's see, what, what what crisis number are we on now? Seven, eight, something oh. like that. Um, I think we're up into we're into high f- teens. So, <laughs> so if however you want to split it, yeah, <laughs> if 2022 is going to be uh, a national election, even though it's not a presidential race, right? Right. Even if it's going to be pegs to national politics, uh, then I think the Democrats are in real trouble because you know, as you see, pretty much every election, every midterms, um, the the leading party or the majority party loses seats. That's just a consistent trend mm-hmm. in political science. That. And that's something that they really can't afford at this point. They can only lose uh, three members of the house. They can't lose anybody in the Senate. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's going to be a very difficult race, especially if, um, you know, it's kind of the, the script is flipped mm-hmm. that in, in 2020, they tried to make every race about Donald Trump and really a referendum against Donald Trump. Right. Well, now that script is going to be completely flipped. And if Republicans can make the, make the election national, make all these house races and these Senate races national, um, then the Democrats are going to be in real hot
2: water. Mm. Well, you were talking about the about how the Democrats can only afford to lose like three seats or whatever. Since we're talking about narrow paths, let's talk about reconciliation.
0: Ah, oh, my favorite topic.
2: Something that we clearly hasn't gotten a lot of airtime, but we should okay. definitely discuss yeah, we'll talk it. talked about more.
0: it at all? Nah. Yeah. So, uh, reconciliation and, and funding the budget and, uh, oh, that reconciliation. Is, oh yeah. Yes. That <laughs> reconciliation. Um, you know, how the, how the, that three and a half trillion dollars we're about to spend. Um, All right. mm-hmm. this is, uh, it's we'll absolutely, uh, for, for the policy wonks, for the, the inside the beltway people, it's really fascinating what's going on. Um, and the <laughs> policy, I know it's not, and it's not
2: for personally. anyone else. And, well,
0: it's very boring, but it's also kind of
1: interesting. Well, it's kind of fun. It's like for watching the Democrats fight each other.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a nice change of pace.
0: Well, uh, you don't know what's going You, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of a lot of politics is um, really it's pre baked. You know, a lot of things that happen in Congress they're completely pre baked, and then once it gets to the floor, you know what's going to happen. Um, there's not really many surprises, but this is one thing where there's going to be some surprises, and there's nothing that they can do about it. So basically, what's going on right now is uh, Nancy Pelosi has said that she will hold to her agreement. They will have a vote on the infrastructure package. That's the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package. Only 1.2. On on Monday, only 1.2. And um, uh, so progressives who said that they, uh, you know, they demanded this $3.5 trillion budget uh, in exchange for the infrastructure package are uh, pretty peeved about this. Um, And so they've basically told Nancy Pelosi that at least half of the progressive caucus uh, I think there's 49 members there. So we're talking about 25 ish members uh, have said that they refuse to vote for the infrastructure package. Um, you know, this was the, the priority for the Democrats that we've been talking about for mm-hmm. months now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, the yeah. Democrats are really stuck between a hard, rock and a hard place that on the one side, they're going to lose uh, the moderates on the other side. They're going to lose um, the progressives. And caught in the middle is Biden's agenda. So there's a very real chance here that we, you know, the Republicans can tank uh, Biden's whole agenda, tank his presidency with, you know, just a couple of votes.
1: Yeah, well, so many times in the past, the, uh, you know, the progressives, these are like, you know, the squad people and like mm-hmm. AOC and Rashida Tlaib, uh, they've, they always end up folding, it seems like, in the past two years when it gets yeah. to a point like this. They talk a big game about how they're going to come in and change Washington. Uh, I think one of the main reasons they fold is uh, they're... Um, they have no idea what they're doing most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got like you know very inexperienced staff or just staff who don't really care about process, so they can't you know kind of gum up the works the way that uh, a lot of um, uh, Republicans are able to do a lot of the time because they actually pay attention to how these things work. Like we see the Freedom Caucus mm-hmm. is able to do, but they fold all the time when they come up against Nancy Pelosi. So you know if like they actually. Cared about it, mm-hmm. I'd love to see them actually go through with it for once and actually put their money where their mouth is. Because, like, I really don't have any respect for them right now because they. <laughs> they don't really ever put their money. Away that's the others. only reason you don't have respect for them. I mean, there's many reasons, but I right, it That's
0: why it, you don't yeah. like them. I mean, if they really cared. No, but, I'm, I'm, but I am glad you brought up that, the Freedom Caucus because I think it's it's not a perfect comparison, mm-hmm. right? Because there's yes. a lot that's different between the two. Mm-hmm. But We're talking about fighting the establishment. Right, but it's but it actually is a is a really uh, useful example in this context because the Progressives really haven't proven that they're willing to follow through on these threats, and these promises, as you said. Um, and the strength of the Freedom Caucus really comes from the fact that uh, they're united. If they say they're gonna vote no on something unless mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, uh, you can take them at their word for it. And we've seen that time and time again. I mean, we can go back to the, uh, the speakership coup. Mm-hmm. And well, then that's the right. reason people take it seriously. Right, and so <laughs> this is basically the, the big test for the Progressive Caucus. If they fold, then they've proven that they're squishes and that they really are not uh, a major threat to the Democratic Party, they're not going to have any control. Um, but if they if they stick to their guns, if they really do vote no, um, I think it'll be an interesting shift in how uh, in how the House functions from here on out.
1: And like you have all these progressive challengers to uh, you know established mm-hmm. or, uh, establishment Democrats all across the country, they're popping up. You know, why should voters take those uh, progressive challengers any any seriously than the people who are in Congress? If the people who are in Congress right now, in the Progressive Caucus, uh, can't even Go through with their threats, it's right? Right. And Nancy Pelosi knows it. We all know it. Mm-hmm. But maybe it'll change this time. I, I dare them to do it.
2: But the, the and I would
1: applaud them if they did. The,
2: but the other side of the coin too is then there's also this faction of moderates in the House, and of course, cinema, who's going to be the big the big hurdle in the Senate um, to whether this passes or fails, and it'll be a test to see whether the moderates are actually actually care about moderation or whether or not they will just rubber stamp whatever Nancy and the progressives want.
0: Well, yeah, and that's what you're seeing is um, uh, the moderates are playing uh, a really great backroom game. What they're doing is they're, they're, they're wheeling and dealing in the halls of Congress. Uh, they're not going out having these press conferences like the progressives are. They're not going out and speaking because well, all much. the progressives can actually do is go <laughs> exactly right, hang out on um, Instagram for a while. And so you're Met. exactly right. It'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how this all shakes out and, and whether or not, because basically the moderates have won at this point. They're, they're going to get their infrastructure vote. Um, they're probably going to moderate the, the $3.5 trillion budget. Um, but whether or not progressives will stick to their guns is the bigger
1: question. And right even now. then, uh, it seems like Republicans, now that they're actually whipping the vote on that, uh, Kevin McCarthy and uh, Steve Scalise have decided that they're actually going to mm-hmm. try and hold her. Their, uh the republican caucus together they're probably not going to lose as many people yeah. i mean it's going to be the odd couple but mm-hmm. that means you're looking at uh how many votes do you need uh 200 so we were 18.
0: we were doing some quick math earlier and yeah. for the for the infrastructure package fast we're assuming that the progressives stick to their guns and about half the progressive caucus uh, decides to vote no um, what you're looking at is uh, nancy pelosi will have to win back something like 12 to 15 votes. That's uh, gonna and those <laughs> are going to come from Republicans. You know, we, we talked about it. There are, there are some squishes There's out some there. Squishes. I mean, We know who least, we are. The, yeah. Least yeah. You know, the People watching the show know who um, you are, too. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: they, they surely could pick up three, four or five votes um, just on principle. But uh, that was the other big question is whether or not uh, McCarthy and Scalise were going to go out there with whip against it. Um, and that's going to be, you know, it's hard to it's hard to go against the whip.
2: So now, tell me me the the timeline. So what has to pass first in order for the other thing to pass? Or is that what what part of the hold-up is? That was part
0: of the whole... um, Basically, what was happening was progressives were saying, you need to vote on the budget first, and then you can vote on infrastructure. And moderates said, no, we're going to vote on infrastructure first, and then vote on the budget. Um, So as it stands now, they will vote on the infrastructure package on, uh, I believe it's this coming Monday, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, the reconciliation package hasn't even been totally compiled yet. So there'll be still be uh, some time before they get to that.
2: So the, and then of course the 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 debate is the other side is accusing the other of bad faith. So saying that oh, if the if the progressive argument against this is saying that if we pass the infrastructure bill. First, there's no guarantee that we'll pass the reconciliation Effectively,
0: the, bill. The progressives were trying to hold the infrastructure package hostage in exchange for the $3.5 trillion budget because the moderates won it moderate. Right. Uh, I think it was Manchin said $1.5 trillion, you know, which is mm-hmm. still an insane amount of money, but it's much less than $3.5 trillion.
2: Speaking of Manchin, I thought it was interesting this week, he, he even signaled that maybe we should do this $3.5 trillion thing next year, Well, which is an interesting... He's already on his way
0: out, so yeah, I'm not sure he really cares what happens, but um, uh, you know, I. Who knows, man? He 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 flip flops so much; he goes back and forth. Yeah. You never know, depending on which side of the bed he wakes up on that day, whether or not he's going to go.
2: Oh, I'm not forward. saying he's reliable. I mean, he's gonna. He's gone back on his word before. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. We'll see. Yep. Well, well, last thing before we hit the road, gents. Apparently. Uh, scientists you know maybe we should just (laughs) put all the scientists in like a pen or something until we figure out what the hell is going on because they're the ones that you know released this coronavirus out into the world And and now they want they want to bring back woolly mammoths luke they want to bring back woolly mammoths from extinction we have anyone that was born in the 90s knows that you don't bring back things from extinction i'm of course talking about the documentary jurassic park would recommend for everyone to go out and see that but we've learned we have learned these lessons well
0: you know i know we're not going to listen to george orwell i know we're not going to listen to ray bad but can we at least please listen to michael crichton that like we cannot do this we have it's absolutely insane that this is even being considered. You know, I, if y'all remember all of the, the huge controversy over cloning Dolly the sheep, yeah, uh, that was well, that was a, a big deal. And yet, and yet now no one seems to care that we're going to be cloning, um, you know, woolly mammoths again. Um, I don't know. I this has it's science a,
2: gone too far? To quote, to quote um, Jeff Goldblum it's like you were too worried about figuring out whether you could, you never stop to ask whether you should. Yeah. And I feel that's exactly what we have to ask these scientists that are trying to revive woolly mammoths.
0: So but if they if they succeed with this, and if they continue, let's say twenty thirty years down the road, mm-hmm. would you go to Jurassic Park?
2: No. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs>
0: not. I would totally go. I'll visit it from Google And actually
2: Earth. actually this is even crazier to think of. <laughs> i'm surprised PETA hasn't come out um or these um left-wing comics that are putting on the climate change thing
1: oh climate night
2: climate night well because think about it tonight if they yeah if they if they were if they do successfully release the woolly man or revive the woolly mammoths that means the woolly mammoth can only live in like frozen tundras which the left is claiming is evaporating every day so why would you bring back an animal a species from the dead only to have it die from what the mm-hmm. left is saying is like climate change? They've
0: only asked if they can. They didn't ask if they should. You know what? That,
2: that's the that theme what? of today. Exactly. Those are good words to end on. And on that note, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, if you liked it, please download, like, and subscribe. And if you didn't, please pardon the description. Chocolate, chocolate chip.
0: Well, that hurts my feelings.
2: Please clap.